Crabs from the Draft Network, and we are your hosts here on this Monday edition of the show. There are things happening left and right. The college football playoffs happen. Week 17, we know the playoff teams. We know the playoff order. We know that there's a couple of vacancies in the NFL in terms of the coaching searches that are getting set to be filled and and vacated themselves. So there's a lot to get into, Kyle. Happy Monday. (laughs) What a day we have queued up today, man. It's it's we're it's Monday morning, so we're it, news is going to fly fast and furious for a while now, right? And there's not going to be much in the way of dead periods uh, moving forward. Yeah, we're, we have so much to talk about, so let's let's not waste any time. Typically, we burn the first five minutes of the pod. I say we just dive right in today. Started with uh, Joe Burrow massacring the Oklahoma defense. <sighs> Yeah, well, we gave him too much credit, right? That was the soundbite I pulled from Thursday stating L- or Oklahoma was going to need an active God <laughs> to have LSU avoid hanging 55, 60 points on them. Uh, they didn't get it. So uh, just a masterful, what do you have, eight first-half touchdowns? Seven first-half touchdowns? Yeah, he had eight total in the game. I mean, I remember it being like nine seventeen when they scored that touchdown. I'm like, this is just stupid. Like. To, to me, that's one of the all-time great performances in a football game, right? I think I don't think I'm overreacting. This dude just went out there and just didn't miss throws. He challenged them vertically, uh, took care of the football, was situationally outstanding. I, I mean, I've never seen anything like it. It, it, it. it was vintage, all-time great quarterbacking in a big game. Bengals fans got to be elated. I mean, that's that's what I'm thinking. I'm sitting here thinking the whole time. How, if you are a Bengals fan, you're watching this football game. You, you, the smile on your face has to be ear to ear, and the you know, and then you kind of flip back to the Oklahoma side of things, and you're like, this is going to be the deal with Oklahoma. They've had Baker, they've had Kyler Murray, they've had Jalen Hurts in the sensational season he's had. All these great offensive playmakers, but the best they're going to be able to do is win the Big Twelve. Be the fourth best team in the country. Yeah, be the fourth best team in the country, win, win the Big 12, lose to some team like Kansas or Kansas State or Baylor. They're going to lose some game like that. And when they get tasked up against an Alabama, a Clemson, a Georgia, an LSU, they're just not going to get it done on defense. And you can play defense. You can do it. It can be done. It, it, there's other teams that can play defense. I don't know if he keeps spinning the tires on coordinators. It's recruiting. It's probably an all of the above type thing. But man, Oklahoma is going to really look back on, I think, this run and have a lot of regrets that they just, I mean, they couldn't even be average on defense. Well, I don't think there was. I knew the game was over when 44 hit Edwards Hilaire with that cheap shot. You know the one where, where yeah. Burrow's scrambling out to his right and, and 44 launched into Edwards Hilaire, hit him in the head? Yeah, it was a cr- uh, th- That targeting call? Yeah. Yeah. A trash, trash play, but more importantly, you knew at that point, okay, they're going to make a pay. Yeah. And they 
did not take the foot off the gas. I think they had uh, was it forty nine points at halftime. They had, yeah. Exactly. I think they they just steamrolled them and they made it look so easy. Justin Jefferson was a big winner as well for what he was able to do. Yeah. Um, Joe, first of all, they ran a lot of slot fade in that game. You know how I feel about slot That's fade, the play, right, Kyle? It's undefeated. Just only run slot fade every single play, and you will have a touchdown every single play. Not seriously, but I love that concept because of how much space it affords you vertically working to the boundary. And you saw that uh, when they dialed up the deep plays to Jefferson from the slot. Uh, I I put him in the top fifty of my my uh, mock draft four point that dropped today, Joe, because. We don't know that he's coming out, but as soon as he comes out, we're going to do that film study, and I already know he's super silky smooth. He's tough over the middle. He wins routes to all layers of the field. He's got great hands, and he's a a dynamic player that I think you can line up inside and out. He's a great player, and I'm I'm looking forward to his decision when he makes it, and uh, if he chooses to run it back and go back, more power to him. But uh, I'm anticipating this is going to be – in a stacked wide receiver class, this is going to be a name that rises. Yeah, and that's, I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but that's going to be what's interesting about this receiver class because there's so many good ones. And it could come down to, you know, the team that's going to pick a receiver, what type of receiver they feel would be best for their team. But I think we're going to look back on this and find a lot of really good, you know, playmakers in the NFL that came through. And Justin Jefferson, a big time guy. I mean, he was only like a two-star recruit going into LSU, just developed and, and looks like a really dynamic dude. Um, I guess anything else here before we shift gears to Ohio state and Clemson? No, because the only reason I was thankful for this game being what it was is I checked out at halftime and started to work on my mock draft for today. Like (laughs) it was over. And the Ohio State Clemson game looked like we might have had another route and did not disappoint with some of the late game heroics that we got. Joe, you talked about Joe Burrow and uh, like a textbook performance of quarterback play in a big time stage. How about Trevor Lawrence, dude? You know, they they beat the tar out of Trevor for the first 20, 25 minutes of this football game. And he comes back. Runs tough. He puts the team on his back, makes a huge 60-plus yard touchdown run with his legs to pull him within two at halftime. And then he flips the switch. And he he's lacing the ball beautifully all over the field. Uh, this was the first time we really saw Trevor Lawrence in a hole. And if this is what we're going to get yeah. when the going gets tough, holy shit, dude. That's what was awesome about this game is we saw that that true competitive war daddy side of Trevor Lawrence, man. And uh, especially when you T Higgins is, is in and out of the lineup, same thing with Justin Ross, they kind of battled injuries the entire time. Uh, really good Ohio state defense, you know, NFL starters at all three levels of the, of the, of the unit. And for him to, you know, find a way, whether that was getting the ball to Travis Etienne in space, him, you know, he had 107 yards rushing in this game, uh, threading some, some, coverage with some tight passes man he he did what it took against a uh, you know one of the best defenses in college football that was that was really exciting to see um man I one thing I've learned I watch a lot of football in my life one thing I've learned is that bad calls are part of football and and as somebody who has no dog in the fight in this game I don't know how they got that play wrong that the, the fumble the fumble that uh was it Justin Ross 
he had the ball yeah. and, and yeah, he, he had, had it in his hands, took four steps with it away from his body, and then I mean, it gets knocked loose. I mean, he's he's doing like he has the ball up above his head. He lowers it down. It's like he's moving it in a circular motion with both hands firmly clasped on the ball. Brother, that's possession. <laughs> That's possession of the football. And then you lost possession. And I'm not saying Clemson wasn't going to win the game regard all this stuff, right? Like I, it's, it's part of the game, but man, if I'm Ohio state, I'm still spewing over that this morning. Yeah. They, um, ref, the, the refs had a rough go this weekend, all around <laughs> both levels of competition. Uh, Joe, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts were on, um, Chase Young and his performance, because I saw some people say Chase Young played a bad football game. Yeah. He was very disruptive. He didn't have the opportunity to get home, but a lot of the opportunity to get home comes back to how tight your secondary is playing and the play of the opposing quarterback. You know, the the quarterback in, in a lot of ways, sacks are a quarterback stat because of the ability to get rid of the football, disperse it quickly, know where your hots are, understand checkdowns, da, 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 da. Chase Young, like, no, he didn't have a four-sack game, but if you were expecting a four-sack game against Trevor Lawrence, like, I just don't know what your expectation was. Well, and Tony Pauline put a report out there before the game that somebody with the New York Giants, which is extremely weird for him to, like, say what organization. And I guess if I was the New York Giants, I'd probably be finding bad things to say about Chase Young as well. Yeah. I get him, right? So. He said that, uh, you know, that he fades in big games because if you look at, you know, the Michigan game, zero tackles, you look at the uh, the Wisconsin game, six tackles, no sacks. You look at the Clemson game, two tackles, no sacks. Um, man, I can't even I can't even begin to address how stupid of a talking point that is. But here's the reality. And, and one thing, I you know, I'm watching this game early on and Clemson did a lot of quick stuff. And they were mm-hmm. very intelligent and inte- intentional with running a bunch of zone read and getting Trevor Lawrence involved in the running game. And all that's about is slowing down Chase Young. So and they ran it right at Chase Young, too. Yeah, I, I mean, anybody that's ever watched football and understands that you have really good pass rushers and how to slow that down. That's the stuff you do. Clemson's entire game plan was dictated because Chase Young was on the field. So, yeah, you look at this thing, and you say two sacks and you didn't see, you know, or two tackles. I mean, that's just that's just that's bad wa- understanding of the game. I think he hit or knocked Lawrence down like four or five times. Like he was still a very constant presence in the rush, despite all the quick game that they were doing and how often they got ETN involved in the, in the, the, the little quick screen and check down game. So I thought that was an outrageous narrative to walk away from this football game. Yeah. I mean, if you get too far up the field, hello, Trent Murphy, uh, you, you, you create those, you, you, you give them their game plan to, to just exploit you. So it's it's a tough balancing act. I played I played defensive end, albeit at the high school level. But I, I mean, I I know what it's like to be put in conflict, and and how offenses play off that, you know. And and that's a tough spot to be in for Chase Young. But the fact of the matter is, Clemson had to completely change the way that they wanted to play this football game because Chase Young was there. If your takeaway is that Chase Young has been bad in in uh, big three meaningful games, like just I got nothing for you. I don't know what to it's, almost, it's almost like the big games against big opponents have big coaching staffs who understand how to construct a game plan to negate a big player. Kyle, go ahead. It's your time here. Go ahead. Everybody raise your glasses. (laughs) We need to pour one out for the new England Patriots who lost at home. What? 
I, we can't pour one out for the New England Patriots. They no, got, they we're, lost. We're not calling this the end of the can, dynasty. Can we pour one out for the better who placed a $74,000 bet on the Patriots to beat the Dolphins straight up yesterday? That's so bad because the, the return was like four grand or something. Forty six hundred dollars. So you bet you bet seventy four thousand dollars to win forty six hundred, and you lost. You really, honestly, truly do hate to see it. Why would you put that? I mean, okay, so you have seventy four grand of disposable income that you can make a bet on, and you thought it was worthy to wager it for like four grand, like. That didn't that that four grand like in right, that, what's that ROI like? It's terrible, Kyle. I mean, there's been times I look at bets and I'm I, you know, look, I'm not a baller. I put like fifteen or twenty dollars down on a game, and I'll do it. And I'll be like, okay, I, I really like this spread, and and obviously Vegas knows it's an obvious pick. And I put twenty dollars down, and it's like, well, you get three dollars if you win. You know what I do? I don't bet that game because it's not enough. It doesn't move the needle, and let alone putting seventy four grand down. Like I don't care who you are. That's a lot of money. It is. It is. And it, and now it's gone. It it belongs to uh the casinos now, the sports books. Uh but meaningful game in the grand scheme of the playoffs. The, the Patriots, they had that was a game they had to win. They right. had to win the game so they could be the two seed and get a bye. And now they gotta go play a wild card game. They hadn't been there in the last decade. And they gotta go to the, play the Patriots have, have never won a Super Bowl in which they've had to play in the wild card round. Really, not even that first one. I believe that's what it said. Wow. Hold on, Super Bowl. Wow. You hate to see it. <laughs> so that was the big moment, right? Kansas City goes and, and takes care of their business and beats what? Uh, the Chargers. And <laughs> the Dolphins knock off the Patriots, which obviously there's a, there's a big silver lining here in that Dolphins – what the way they finished the season, what Brian Flores has done with this football team should give the uh, Dolphins fan base, whatever you call yourselves, uh, a lot of optimism about yeah. what this, this team can do. Five and four over the last nine games isn't bad for the worst team in NFL history, huh? Yeah, what I mean, that was the narrative. Going in, this is going to be the worst team that's ever taken the field in NFL history. And after three games, that was true. But you know what? That's the thing about playing all 16. They all count the same. They all count the same, and you can get better, right? Or you can get worse. My man got a heck of a lot better. I do have the confirmation, uh, courtesy of Howard from WGR, a friend of TDN and and guy who consistently has us on in draft season. Patriots have never made it to the Super Bowl when they've played in a wild card round. Terrific. Howard, Simon, Simon and I, both uh, Grand Island natives. Grand Island oh, there you York. go. Yeah. Yeah, nice. So, so I guess, do we want to talk about the Week 17 slate, or do we want to talk about the playoff field and how Week 17 impacted it? I think so, yeah. And I mean, I mean, the big thing, to me, the biggest just quick high-level stuff, New England <laughs> losing to Miami, costing them the two-seed. Uh, obviously some very basic things happened, both, you know, we, things we knew about, but like then also, of course you got to look at that Tennessee wind up getting the six seed. And then, uh, the, the big implications last night between Seattle and San Francisco. Right. What um, a crazy finish that was. Yeah. Dude, San Francisco, San Francisco has done this every single game in December. I think I saw like their last four games before this were decided on the last play of the game. They were two and two in those games. And then this is how they finished the season 
with a tackle on Jacob Hollister at the one centimeter line with nine seconds left. The delay game penalty, I don't get. Like, just right. Like, and and Pete came away from it like non. Like, okay, yeah, we're fine. No, you're not fine. <laughs> okay, so on the one yard line, the worst thing that can happen is throwing an interception. The second thing, worst thing that can happen is it's a penalty. Delay game penalty. Yeah. Delay game that in, in that part of the off field? a spike, off a oh, spike. So they bad. didn't even run a play. So friggin' bad. Never mind that the the fact that. Uh, they had to run everybody up to spike the ball to set up that before the delay of game penalty. Seattle had to run everybody up to spike the ball. And like, there's guys walking. I think George Fant was like walking around like 20 yards behind the play. Russell turned around and like had to scream at him and wave him up to get him on the line. They burned a bunch of time. It was fun watching DK Metcalf score that the touchdown to cut the lead and then him be a big part of that final drive. Yeah, DK had a great – listen, the wide receiver class this year was amazing. A.J. Brown, man, he debo. A.J. Brown went over 1,000 yards Terrible this year and had 450-plus-yard touchdowns. Debo Samuel had over, I think, 800, 900 receiving yards. Uh Terry McLaurin, like you mentioned. Yeah, Terry McLaurin had some injuries he dealt with as well, man. He he was great this year. DK I with mean, 900 yards. Seven touchdowns. Looks like maybe uh, those guys had something to do with Jordan Tiamu being looking like a, a viable quarterback prospect at, at one point, huh? I like Jordan Tiamu, damn it. I liked him too, but let's be honest. <laughs> when your two receivers, two your top two receivers go to the NFL yeah. and post nineteen hundred receiving yards combined as rookies. <laughs> as rookies, it's probably a testament of the talent that you were playing with. Well, and Dawson Knox had a good rookie year and then Yeah, uh, dude. Uh, I mean, Demarcus Lodge isn't no slouch. I know he's not doing anything, but he was a good college football player. So all right, so we, we have the, the final seedings. The Ravens are the one seed at 14 and 2. The Chiefs are the two seed at 12 and 4. Patriots are the three seed at 12 and 4. Texans are the four seed at 10 and 6. Buffalo is the five seed at 10 and 6. Tennessee is the six seed at 9 and 7. NFC, 49ers, one. Packers, two. Saints, a 13 and 3, three seed. <laughs> The Eagles are the four seed at nine and seven. Seattle is eleven and five five, and the Vikings are a ten and six six seed. One team I'm- with a winning record this year missed the playoffs. The two thousand and nineteen LA Rams. They, what was their record? Ten and six. Nine and seven. Okay, nine and six. Oh, so every nine and seven or better team made the playoffs except for the Rams. Yes, that's fun. And and it makes me feel better like that. I'm glad the NFC East division winner didn't go eight and eight. Right. And we, we kept waiting for Philly to get hot, right? Like I think they're, they were five and seven. They finished nine and seven. They won their last four, but there, there was a point there where it's like you were looking at, they lost to the dolphins in that stretch. I know it's like, dude, I mean, this team for all the flack that the NFC is going to get for having a home playoff game at nine and seven, you shouldn't have lost to the Dolphins, but you did. So there you're 10 and 6. Well, and I think – I don't think it's crazy to think the Eagles could win that game on Sunday. Against Seattle? Yeah. Yeah. Philly's going to be lit. I'm looking into playoff We're tickets right like, now, to be honest with you. We, I mean, obviously, we thought very highly of this team going into the year. But, like, 
they got dudes like on the on the line of scrimmage, and that's that changes that gives you a chance. And Carson Wentz, I mean, his the, some of those stats that you hear about him, like of, of thirty completions and no interceptions, and what he's been able to do, like he's playing right. good ball. Yeah, he's playing terrific ball right now. Hey, by the way, our bet tied. Yeah, so what's the tiebreaker? I don't know. We got to figure one out for the playoffs. I mean, this is that was a season long. Yeah, it was a, there was a there there was a big payoff here that did not happen. Right, <laughs> but this happened something we did a couple years ago too. Friggin' tie. I, yeah, and I got, won whatever the Falcons that was. I know I won that. Yeah, the Falcons offense. I mean, their their top offense top wasn't five. bad, but was not top their five. Offensive, their offense. Uh, can we talk about Jameis getting the thirty thirty club? I know we we wanted to get into coaching changes and stuff, and we're trying to keep this close to thirty minutes, but we have to talk about a five thousand yard. 30-30 season that includes a pick six to end the game from Jameis Winston. In overtime. It's beautiful. In overtime. Yeah, very poetic. Um, I mean, he did so many things this year that were very positive and I think played better. But the turnovers are at an all-time high, which anyone was fearful of with Arians. But Jameis has to protect the football. And Listening to Bruce after the game, it wasn't oh, a glowing he, he, endorsement of Jameis Winston. He like had enough, man. Yeah, he did. He 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 got a little little loose with with his comments, but and he was honest, and that's fine. We get that from Bruce Arians. Uh, but it didn't give me the warm fuzzies about when I'm thinking about this Bucks team and how they're going to attack this offseason. It didn't didn't give me those warm fuzzies about Jameis definitely being the guy. And then you same simultaneously, you're hearing that he wants thirty to thirty five million dollars in a contract. And I think anyone's going to be careful to give him that money. Did you know Tampa scored 22 points in the second quarter and did not score anywhere else along the way? Really? So they took a nap, huh? For five or four, yeah. three and a half quarters or whatever. Three point yeah. two five quarters. So Jameis' final line this year, he's seven and nine as a starting quarterback of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is improvement <laughs> over what he's he won more games as the starter this year than he won the last two years as a starter combined. He won six games in the last two years playing in 24 games. He won twice as many games, or he won one more game in only 16 this year. Uh, completed 60% of his passes for 5,100 yards, 33 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, and took 47 sacks. His sack rate, never higher. His interception rate, 4.8%. It's more than 1% higher than any other time in his career. So, this is a guy who took 626 pass attempts this year, and with that volume, the inconsistencies with decision-making, both within the pocket as a passer and throwing the ball with ball security, have never been worse. I think that's the endorsement that you need in order to point to making a decision with Jameis. And I think the decision is you can't run this back. You can't pay him what he wants. If you want to franchise tag him for one year to kind of use it as a stopgap and figure out what you're doing long-term, that's fine. Yeah. But I don't see any way how you can give Jameis a contract extension because all of the things that are used to measure bad decisions got worse with more volume. And it's not just like a volume stat. It's a percentage of reps stat that makes it bad. I think that's probably the best thing to do is tag him or do something for one year 
Um, but I think you start thinking about replacing him, right? And and that could come through. I know in your mock draft today, you had them taking Jacob Eason in the second round. I mean, yes, is, second is, round, very important note. Is this a Jordan Love team? You know, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do because I don't think here's what they can't do. They can't go all in on Jameis Winston. Right. Don't this double down. And that's and that honestly that that's what they did at offensive tackle this past year and it yeah. bit him. Yeah. Because well, they went all in on Donovan Smith. They gave him a three year like forty million dollar yeah. contract extension. It looks like a terrible deal now. So they And got, we knew it was a terrible deal. They gotta get the offensive line right. I mean even running I mean I, Ronald Jones, whatever. Like I, I don't think you can trust these running backs. They still got issues on the back and you know in the in the secondary and some of those young players have to get better, all that stuff. I mean, JPP obviously helps, but they've they've got a lot to do this offseason and and they should be encouraged with what they go seven and nine with Bruce in year one. Yeah. Yeah. Overcame a really difficult schedule, but um, you kind of you kind of can see the optimism, but see that there's a lot of work ahead in terms of getting this thing right. So I guess that takes us to some of the other teams that have a lot of work to do ahead of them right now. Well, Redskins fans should wake up today feeling pretty good. Bruce Allen's oh. out, and all signs are pointing to Ron Rivera as being the next head coach. To land a guy with that guy, you know, a coach with that type of resume, just kind of with that nervousness that we kind of had going into their search about who would want to go to Washington and, and those types of things, I mean – feels like a corner might be being turned here and you get excited. You got the number two pick in the draft. I mean, this is, this is as positive of a vibe as I can possibly have about Washington today. Now I do want to pump the brakes here for a sec, because I do think we at least need to consider what the front office structure looks like in Washington. We have no idea. Well, there's some people that think Ron Rivera is going to get control. Never a fan of that. And that's that's where, I mean, you're talking about turning the corner and feeling good and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And like, yeah, you should feel great about Ron Rivera being your head coach. But this feels kind of weird as far as timing because you've dismissed Bruce Allen. You don't have anybody in place to top the organization from a football management perspective. You're getting ready to hire Ron Rivera right here on the spot. That leads me to think that he is going to be in charge of some of the football operations. Well, and of course, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to throw cold water on Ron Rivera to, to Washington yeah. because I love it from a coaching perspective, but I, I don't know. So there's two names that I, I'm very familiar with, obviously about, who could work with him in the front office front office. And it's two bills guys, Dan Morgan, who played for Ron Rivera, I think. Um, obviously the Brandon Bean connection there. And, and Dan Morgan is a rising star as an executive, what he's done with per player personnel with Buffalo and his upbringing through the Seattle front office. Um, he's a guy that's on that list. And Joe Shane, the bills assistant general manager. So I think, this is, you know, the Bills spent a lot of time plucking pieces away from Ron Rivera in Carolina. You know, it could be. Now it's Ron's turn. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it really could be. You know, I'm not sure how but, much of it, but if he gets one of those two guys, I, I would be excited about them. But I don't think you can give Ron Rivera control of the roster. No, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's, that would be really something I would entertain at all, you know, in terms of structure. Um, 
even I think I'm if Belichick doesn't have Brady, I don't think his GMing is something that is going to be working out the way that it has. Oh, I mean, it's that that's a whole system, you know, as far as the systemic. We we're in a competition window, so we'll trade a seventh for an established, like really good starter, and then we'll let him walk next year in free agency and recoup a third. And they they've got this whole system down, and that's Bill makes up for some, quite frankly, bad drafting mm-hmm. in, in the in the top fifty, top seventy five with volume, and that that's how they make their hay there. Uh, Adam Schefter reporting as of. Three minutes ago, Joe, that the Cleveland Browns are requesting permission to interview Josh McDaniels for their head coaching vacancy. Panthers too, right? Panthers also expected to request it. I don't know why you do it. I don't know why you call him. He was a bad coach in Denver. He balked on the Colts. Um, Yeah. Forget the bad coach in Denver, man. The the way he handled his business in Indianapolis was trash. What's so good? I mean – are we impressed with the Patriots offense this year? I don't know, man. I just, what's the big appeal with friggin' Josh McDaniels? What is never mind, never mind the fact that Cleveland said when they let Freddie kitchens or the Cleveland didn't say it, but there are reports saying that Cleveland wants somebody with a long, a strong leadership demeanor atop the coaching staff. That ain't Josh McDaniels. So you're going to get Josh McDaniels. That'd be really disappointing. And I'm I'm like 20% done writing about this Freddie Kitchens thing right now. And it's it's <laughs> you you got to get the right guy. You got to get the right guy in place to really kind of knit this locker room together. Jimmy Haslam just can't get out of his own way, man. That's remarkable. Mike McCarthy's available. Will Lincoln Riley leave Oklahoma for Cleveland? Find out, right? Like Right. Oh, and by the way, Matt Rule said he indirectly said or reports Cleveland. suggest that he's not interested in Cleveland either. Yeah. Matt Rule seems like a smart guy. He knows where he wants to interview yeah. and where he doesn't want to interview. <laughs> I, I, for Matt Rule, we'll have to see what happens with the Giants, but that to me, he's a New York City guy. Right. He grew. He was born in Brooklyn. Yeah. I mean, I. To me, that's a slam dunk if if they can make it work. Um, but that's all we know right now is Car- we, we've known about Carolina and Washington. Freddie Kitchens didn't didn't make it to Black Monday. He got fired upon arrival after that humiliating loss in Cincinnati. Uh, and so, so we're we'll, still we're still waiting to see what Jacksonville does. Yeah, Jacksonville's up there in the Giants. Still waiting to see what the Giants and Dallas are doing. Yeah, Dallas is the other one. I'm not. Sh- I'd be surprised. I think those three are the ones I. I that feel unsettled. I'd be surprised if there was any more in addition to those three. Yeah. There, there was some buzz for Anthony Lynn, which I thought was nonsense. Oh, I think stupid. Anthony Lynn's such a great coach. Yeah. And you know, the chargers, you got to keep firing and hiring new training staffs until you find one that gets your guys healthy. But all indications suggest that he's, he's going to be back now. Uh, for for 2020 is there anybody that you would fire that's not on the chopping yeah, block right matt now? patricia yeah matt patricia he'd be gone no more time for that none how about them collapsing away a 14 point lead <laughs> yeah just can't i can't be part of it <laughs> you gotta go gotta go so do we 
I'm going to wrap this up. Got a busy day ahead of us. We got some uh, mock draft discussion and engagement on social media ahead of myself. Uh, we're going to be covering uh, the Black Monday changes as they happen. We're going to have some reactionary pieces talking about here's what you should think or here's here's why this happened and why you should feel this way about it. So we got an exciting couple days here to end 2019 at the Draft Network, and we kindly ask that you come back and see us tomorrow for Takes on Takes, Joe. Our final Takes on Takes of 2019. Some people would even say it's the final Takes on Takes of the decade. Wow. <laughs> you just took it to a whole new level. So you yeah. may definitely want to make sure you do not miss it. So come back and see us again tomorrow. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Draft Dudes Podcast.